This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Essex County's own Miskatonic University. Miskatonic University is famous for its collection of occult books, including one of the very few genuine copies of the Necronomicon. The fighting cephalopods of Miskatonic U always remember, ex ignorantia ad sapientium, ex luce ad tenabras. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, 1985's Reanimator and 2003's Beyond Reanimator. It's Reanimator Week on Pod Cemetery. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. What 80s horror film? Did Fetty Alvarez remake prior to making 2016's Don't Breathe? Evil Dead. That is correct. Yeah. The original was named The Evil Dead. This one's just named Evil Dead. That is correct. All right, Kelsey. In honor of our subject matter, there's a chance I've already asked this. I don't remember. The brain of the monster in Frankenstein, 1931 is obtained from which of the following places? A graveyard, a university, a prison, or a morgue? A morgue. No. A university. University. Fuck. Yeah. That leads us pretty easily into Reanimator from 1985, based on an original story by H.P. Lovecraft called Herbert West Reanimator, and with a screenplay written by Dennis Paoli, William Norris, and Stuart Gordon, directed by Stuart Gordon and starring Jeffrey Combs, Bruce Abbott, and Barbara Crampton. What is Reanimator about? A man obsessed with bringing people back from the dead teams up with a medical student, and they conduct experiments. Should people watch Reanimator, Kelsey? Yes. Yes. Really liked it a lot. I thought it was very funny. Thank you so much to Anthony for recommending this. Thank you very much, Anthony. Yeah, you should see it. It is a silly horror movie. Yes, it's very silly. It's very funny. Uh, but it's supposed to be very obviously intentionally awkward, but not in the ways where it's just people think they can just skate by on awkwardness. It's a really creative sort of awkwardness that elevates the whole entire piece. Mm -hmm. So I would, yes, I would highly recommend watching Reanimator if you haven't. It is a cult classic. Yes, and I, I mean, I, I'm surprised I've never seen it before, but I really enjoyed it. And you can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1985's Reanimator. Herbert West is brilliant, but a little weird. I've broken the six to 12 minute barrier. I've conquered brain death. And he's just made a discovery that could wake up the dead. He's dead? Not anymore. H.P. Lovecraft's classic tale of horror, Reanimator. 
It will scare you to pieces. All right, Kelsey, get us started. What happens at the beginning of Reanimator? So we open on a doctor. Oh, well, first of all, I'd like to point out that the the opening music yes. and it runs throughout the rest of the film is Yeah, the theme to Reanimator. It's just the theme from Psycho. It is. It it's not the exact same opening theme, but it is it's the opening thing. I don't know how somebody did not get sued for this. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Even the actual opening credit sequence that this music plays over is styled in the way of Vertigo. I think you can say that it's more because it's paired with the intro to Vertigo. I mean, you could argue that it's an homage. It's pretty damn close. And when you watch Beyond Reanimator, it is just <laughs> the theme from Psycho. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, it is just that theme as opposed to this, which is like a modified version of it. But it's very obviously that melody. Very, very obviously. So if you're wondering, like I was, where do I know this song from? I just couldn't put it together. And Kelsey pointed out that it's the theme from Psycho. And I'm like, oh, right. Yes, totally. <laughs> After that, we open on a man who's like exploding in his head. Like his eyes are popping out and stuff. What's his name, by the way? Oh, I have no idea. The character's name is Dr. Hans Gruber. That's right. That's the same name as the bad guy from Die Hard. Hans. Booby. Which wouldn't come out until three years later. And it's not the same name as in the book that Die Hard is based off of. So somebody in the script writing process must have been a fan of Reanimator, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Or it's just a common name. I mean, Yeah, Hans. it's like John Smith, Hans yeah. Gruber. Yeah. So he's exploding and like these people run in and they look at our main guy, Herbert West. Herbert West, as played by Jeffrey Combs. And they're like, you killed him. And he's like, no, I didn't. I gave him life. I did not. I gave him life. You killed him. No, I did not. I gave him life. Yes, very indignant because he's all about giving life, which is silly because he's not later on in the yeah, series. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, it, it, it's it, he's all about really ambition, right? Like he has a medical goal and he's going to achieve it through experimentation and he does not care what impact that experimentation has. He's very unethical. Yeah, but it even goes beyond unethical because he doesn't really want to do it to save people. He just kind of wants to prove that he can. Yeah, he's sociopathic. Yeah. After the opening credits and everything, it takes us to Miskatonic Medical School in Arkham, Massachusetts. So, Miskatonic University is a very famous university in the H.P. Lovecraft 
Cthulhu mythos. Uh, it's very commonly used. A lot of what he writes about takes place in New England. So it's like a shared universe? Yes. And Arkham is a city in his mythos as well. Which is where pres- the prison came from? Yeah, Arkham Asylum and Batman comes from comes from that, yeah. So just if you were wondering, if you're not up on your H.P. Lovecraft, who was an incredible writer and a terrible racist. <laughs> <laughs> and according to Supernatural, aware of the Supernatural. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's in an episode of Supernatural and gets killed. I forget why. <laughs> They're opening a portal to... Oh, that's uh, right. To... Oh, is that where the Leviathan came from? Yeah, all the Leviathan characters come from the portal to Limbo or whatever that they try to... Purgatory. That's it, that they try to open up, yeah. Now we've got our second main character. Dan Kane, played by Bruce Abbott. Have either of them ever been in anything else? Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West has been in all of the reanimator movies. He's also in Frighteners, which I really hope we get to see. Never seen it. There's also a movie based on H.P. Lovecraft called Howard Lovecraft in the Undersea Kingdom that was made in 2017. It's a 3D animated film. Kelsey and I were talking before about uh, family or children's horror movies that are modern that we might be able to pair with some really good older ones. Um, So who knows? Maybe this is one. It has a lot of really good voices in it. Mark Hamill, Ron Perlman, Christopher Plummer. But Jeffrey Combs plays a character in that as well. But anything else big? I mean, Frighteners was big. Oh. He's also in Would You Rather. As who? God, yes, I remember that. You told me you don't remember that movie. Is that the one that I do remember or I don't remember? There's two (laughs) movies like this. (laughs) Did we have that conversation on a recording? I don't know. About how I didn't know if I remembered it or not? I don't know. He's like the host or something. He's a dude with the mustache. Like I said, I don't really remember it very well. Wasn't a very good movie. God, (laughs) I don't. Shit, I don't know. Anyway. You've seen it! (laughs) I guess I have. I don't know. Also, Bruce Abbott, who plays Dan Kane, he was in the first two of these and basically nothing else. That's it? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's been in a lot of things, but nothing you've ever heard of. Okay. Things called, like, Dark Justice and (laughs) Black Scorpion. He's in the second Prophecy movie. (laughs) That'll get you excited. Yeah, and he played several characters in Murder, She Wrote episodes. (laughs) Chris loves Murder, She Wrote. And the Prophecy. (laughs) Yes. So, Kane works at the medical school, or he's a student. No, he's a student. He's, but he's taking a body down to the morgue. He is a doctor. Oh, he but he's is. But he's a student doctor. He's a, not a resident, but who... Oh, during his residency. Yeah, is that is it his resident? Is he a resident? Is that... I can I never that's... remember if the resident is the student or the teacher. No, the resident is the student. Okay. So he's in the middle of his residency, and he has a girlfriend who is the daughter of... The head of the school. The dean. Dean Halsey, played by Robert Sampson. His daughter is Megan Halsey, played by Barbara Crampton. 
Yes, and the dean does not approve of their relationship. No. And he just moved into this new house, and so he needs a new roommate. And that's when Herbert West showed up to become his new roommate. Yes. And he is right off the bat very awkward and very strange, and the girlfriend does not like him. No, not at all. I would like to point out that in Dan Kane, is that Dean Kane? Uh <laughs> what's that from? <laughs> it's a- it's a John Mulaney joke about how when famous people guest star on like Law and Order and stuff like that, and they're in the lineup, it, he knows it's not going to happen. But every time he sees it, he just expects the person who's trying to identify people in the lineup to go, is that Dean Kane? <laughs> and there was a scene where they do a lineup with Dean Kane and four other guys. And they bring in a, a, this woman is going to look at the lineup and it's her behind the glass and they open the curtain and she's standing with the two other detectives. And I knew she wasn't going to say this, but part of me was hoping she would just be like, is that Dean Kane? Fucking <laughs> Dean Kane? Who's Dean Kane? What? You don't know who Dean Kane is? No. Dean Kane is Superman from the Adventures of Superman and Lois Lane, Clark Kent and Lo- what's the what's the, the dude in the wheelchair? No. <laughs> Jesus. The TV show. Oh. Uh, the Adventures of Lois and Clark. Never seen it. It's the TV show Superman version. He is that one from the 90s. Never seen it. And it was hugely popular. How do you not know what this is? Never watched it. Anyway. He's we were also... Seinfeld people. Yeah. <laughs> he's also now like. We were Frasier people. He's one of those guys <laughs> that stars in all those like religious movies, you know, those what? super religious movies that come out that are all like God is not dead and all those type of movies. Is there famous people in those movies? Yeah, Hercules is in them too. They're all these like born again Christian type actors that are in all these horrible, awful, just horrible movies. Washed up actors basically. Yeah, uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> Dean Kane. So Dan Kane. In Dan Kane's room is a poster for Stop Making Sense, which is the Talking Heads documentary slash concert film. Okay. Yeah, I just thought that was pretty interesting. I like the Talking Heads. (laughs) Insightful. (laughs) (laughs) It could have gone in a lightning round, but whatever. So West and... Kane attend class and in class they have this teacher who Herbert West doesn't like right off the bat because he thinks that he is inferior to the man that he used to work for the man who ended up dying in the first scene Hans Gruber yes and he's saying that you stole his ideas and you don't understand you, you got them wrong yeah yeah and you don't understand enough about the human brain to be teaching about it yeah basically And the teacher says, it will be a joy to fail you. Yeah. uh Which I think every teacher knows that feeling. (laughs) He already shared with him earlier on in the movie his his understanding that six to 12 minutes is how long the brain can survive after death. And West disagrees with that. Uh, He thinks that working with Dr. Gruber, he's discovered that it can last much longer than that. I was going to ask you about that because I didn't understand that if he meant that the brain lasts longer than 12 minutes. Yeah, it can. Or if he means that I can make it last longer. Because if that's what he meant, the second one, then he has no reason to be angry with this doctor. It's the capability. The brain is capable of living on after death is what he discovered when working with... 
Hans Gruber, and that's what led to Gruber's explosion. He died somehow, which isn't revealed to us, and the theory is is that West brought him back to life, gave him too much of the of a dose, and that's what caused him to explode. But that they were working together on this topic, and they found that the brain could actually last like indefinitely. Uh, but obviously, the fresher, the better. Yeah. And so when they get to that part in the class, when Hill is like, it lasts for, and he looks right at West six to 12 minutes after death, and West snaps a pencil. Yeah, and he does it twice. He does it because he he's frustrated and he can't believe this is being taught to, to students in this course. But also, he wants Hill to know that he's frustrated about this. West is so fucking confident in everything he does. He thinks he is beyond reproach. And in a person that you know in real life, this would be insufferable. In this particular character, in this particular movie, it's kind of a joy. Oh, yeah. You really end up loving him. Yeah, even though he's an awful human being. He is. He's a terrible human being. I don't think... Yeah, I think Chris was right when he called him a sociopath. I don't think he has much of any empathy for people, but that doesn't mean that he can't like people. Yeah. Because he likes the people he works with. Well, yeah, but he sees them as tools, like assistants and stuff like that. I suppose, but maybe I'm thinking of just in Beyond, but at one point he saves, like, people's lives. Yeah, and he does consider that his research is more important than his own life, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he fully believes that his his work is the most important thing. And that's kind of all it is. I I mean, like he, he's, he's not like, he's not like a mean person per se. He just, like you say, just doesn't have any empathy. Yeah. And nothing is going to get in his way. Yeah. Then we get to see a scene with the teacher and the Dean of the school. And the Dean is seeing his daughter and the teacher is disgustingly yes. into so, her. So the dean invites Dr. Hill, Dean Halsey invites Dr. Hill to dinner because they're going to woo a prospective grantor, like somebody who's going to give the school a grant, because Dr. Hill, the teacher, he is a, a grant magnet. All the, all the cool stuff he works on gets the school a lot of money to do all the research that he needs to do, and it gets them a lot of notoriety. So Hill is very, very valuable to the school. So he invites him over to talk to this person from some commission or committee, and Kane shows up to pick up his girlfriend, the dean's daughter, and Hill is really fucking creepy. Yeah. He is obviously obsessed with Megan. Yes. And it's gross. It is really gross. He's even like, do you think it's appropriate that she goes out or, you know, trying to convince the Dean that Kane is Dean Kane is, <laughs> is that Dean Kane is a bad influence on the daughter. And the Dean doesn't really like Kane, but I also don't think he necessarily wants his daughter to be with this creepy teacher. Either. Every time we put Dean and Kane in the same sentence, I'm going to be thinking about that. <laughs> Meanwhile, we forgot to mention that Kane has a cat, and the cat has gone missing. Yes, Megan notices it. Kane says, oh, maybe West scared her or whatever, and it's like, I mean, yeah, maybe, but the cat hates West. Yeah, you and know, she like doesn't would, like West. He doesn't shut up around him. So she goes into West's room, mm -hmm. and she discovers 
the cat is dead in his refrigerator. Yes, in his little mini fridge. Mm -hmm. And it's around that moment when West comes home and Dean demands an answer of what's going on. And he's like, well, you were gone and I found the cat dead. But I had to go to work or to school or whatever and you weren't home yet. What was I going to do? Leave the cat there or put him in the refrigerator? Was I just going to leave a note that says cat dead? Sorry. More info <laughs> later or whatever. It's a great line. It's a really it's so good, good line. You couldn't call or write a note. I was busy pushing bodies around, as you well know. And what would a note say, Dan? Cat dead. Details later. Because it makes perfect sense. But I don't know if the cat died naturally or not. Yes. That movie does not tell you. Yeah, it never it's, tells it, you. It, it intentionally leaves that up to you to decide, I think. I think that's just like with Gruber. It doesn't really tell you what the circumstances were, and the more it tells you about West, the more you're supposed to wonder, did he intentionally kill the this person and this cat? Yes. So Kane threatens, like, hey, if you, I'm gonna go and tell like, the Dean what this serum is, because you because he finds the green serum, and he's like, I don't know what this is, and you're not going to tell me. I'm going to have to report this. The green serum, which, by the way, is just a glow stick. <laughs> Literally, it's just the fluid from a glow stick poured into a syringe. That's why it glows like that. Awesome. And so then, Herbert West says, hey, you go and tell on me. I'm going to tell the Dean you're sleeping with his daughter. Yeah. So... He does not report the serum. So they leave, they go on a date or some shit, and then he comes back, and when he goes into the lab in the basement, <laughs> Herbert West is running around because he has the cat, the cat is attacking him on the back. Yes. And at first he yells at Kane and says, get out, and then a minute later he's like, get it off! Because <laughs> he can't take care of it himself. Yeah, and they do this really cool thing with the low budget where... You don't see the cat running around when it finally gets off. It, it scurries around. We just see where the camera goes and where their attention goes. And, and they swing at nothing. There is no cat there. But it's a great way of communicating that. I thought it was pretty clever. <laughs> so he ends up having to kill his cat again. again. Yes. <laughs> like, you bastard. He's like, wait a minute. I thought the cat was dead. Was He must not have actually been dead. You just froze him. And and thawed him out or whatever. And he's like, no, he was dead. Here, watch. I'll show you. And he injects the cat. Again. The, the, the second time dead cat. Again with the reagent. And it comes back to life with its back broken. He was like, hey, keep in mind, its back is broken. Don't expect him to tap dance or anything. <laughs> Don't expect it to tango. It has a broken back. And it does come back to life. <laughs> and this is when Kane is just instantly... He's like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Uh Megan comes in and freaks the fuck out. (laughs) Because she sees a little hand puppet moving around. It's very funny. So Herbert West, like, tries to convince Kane, like, you know, this is incredible. But Kane is just like, your theory is not new. But it's like, come on, man, you just saw it work. No, but that's, I think, the problem is they can't just talk about the theory. In order to prove it works, they need to show people this. And West is like, no, it's not ready for that yet. And and when Kane goes to the dean and tells him about this, the dean flips out. He's like, he's doing unsanctioned experimentation on corpses. That's not okay. You are working with him. You're both expelled and you got my daughter wrapped up in this. How dare you? Like, 
Dean goes all out against Kane. These experiments were clearly beyond the scope of your legitimate studies. They've obviously interfered with your ability to do your classwork. If any equipment from the hospital or from the laboratories of Miskatonic University were involved in any of this unauthorized activity, criminal charges may be pressed. You will in any case have your student loan rescinded. So he gets kicked out of the school. So before the message can get around, Kane and West sneak into the morgue where Kane normally goes. So nobody thinks otherwise of it. And they try to reanimate a corpse. Meanwhile, Dean Halsey and his daughter, his daughter's really pissed at him for expelling Dan, her boyfriend. And so she's following him around and ranting and raving at him. And he's looking for this guy because he knows he's there at the hospital. And he's really upset that he was ever even let in in the first place. And he makes it down there just in time to be attacked by this reanimated corpse, who, by the way, is the stunt double for Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> from yeah, the 80s decide- to the 90s. Peter Kent is his name. I forget why they pick that 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 actor, but they pick him and they put they just see just to see what happens. They He's put, like the freshest one. He's the one he, there that doesn't have like brain damage oh, that's or right. anything else that would preclude them from reanimating him. Yeah, but when he comes back, he's a crazy zombie. Yes, and he's very aggressive, and that's the problem with these. And so this monster attacks and kills the dean. So they kill this or West kills this reanimated corpse. And then he's like, oh my God, we have a freshly dead specimen. And Kane is like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. And West says, are, are we ever going to get a chance to work on a body this fresh? So get over here and help me. And they do, they reanimate the Dean. Is he dead? Of course, will you give me a hand here? Now he interrupted an important experiment in progress. But granted, it was an accident. But this is the freshest body that we could come across, save of killing one ourselves. And every moment that we spend talking about it costs us results. Now, will you give me a hand? So he now is reanimated, but he's also a zombie now. And this scene is stumbled upon by Megan and Dr. Hill. And Dr. Hill takes the dean under his care to find out what's wrong with him. And puts him in a padded cell in a straitjacket. And wants to lobotomize him. Yes. There was a whole subplot where Hill discovers a way to control people with his mind. That was removed from the movie. And it kind of explains later aspects of the film and why he's so interested in lobotomizing the Dean. That would have made it make more sense. Yeah, I'm not sure why they took that out. Because it's very obvious and apparent and clear that he wants to take on the other guy, Herbert West's theories and everything like that. But then later he discovers a way to mind control these zombies that he's created. And they don't ever explain how he's able to do that, when he yeah. did it, why he did it. I mean, it's, I mean, we, we get it. He's an evil guy. He wants to do what he wants to do. But still, like, I think that that would have really made it make sense. So Hill, the teacher character, shows up in their laboratory to find out what it is that they've been doing and what they did to the Dean and stumbles upon West and his work. 
and West explains what's going on, and Hill very matter-of-factly is like, okay, uh, I'm stealing this work, so tell me everything there is to know about it, and I'm going to take credit for it. Plagiarist! <laughs> yes. So, when he has an opportunity, West kills him with a shovel, slicing his head off uh, with the flat end of the shovel, and shouting plagiarist at him. Like, that's what he's upset about, as the integrity of the research, and that he gets credit for it. <laughs> plagiarist. And so he decapitates Hill and then reanimates his head. <laughs> As he's talking to the head, he even says at one point when Hill's still claiming he's going to take credit for it, he's like, who's going to listen to a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow. <laughs> You'll never get credit for my discovery. Who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow. During this moment, he gets attacked by the now reanimated body of Dr. Hill. Yeah. And now there's this whole thing where Dr. Hill's head and his body are separated and his body's an idiot and his head is trying to like tell him what to do and convince him where to go. There's obviously still a connection between the different parts of Dr. Hill. Yeah. So, look, obviously this is science fiction. Yes. Obviously we don't we we don't have a way to bring people back from the dead. I was a little irritated that they made something that's obviously just just plain impossible, yeah. right? Just completely, like, even if you could bring back things from the dead, and even if you could bring uh, back, like, just body parts, why on earth would they have connection if they're not connected? Right. So I was a little irritated by that, but at the same time, it's just a silly sci-fi movie, and that's okay. <laughs> so West is now knocked out and the body <laughs> this is so weird the body puts a mannequin's head on when really if he could have done that he could have put hill's head right on the body right it's, yeah he puts a mannequin's head on puts a surgical mask and cap on it and he sneaks his way into the morgue looking like a real person carrying a doctor's bag and in the bag is his actual head. And he's going to try out with the reagent that he stole from West. He's going to try him out on uh, the corpses, supposedly. West wakes up, finds Kane, and they're going to go look for Hill. Hill, who has sent his body out to kidnap Megan. They're in the morgue. Dan and West head to the morgue to get Megan from Hill. Where they walk in is a very uncomfortable part of the movie. Yeah. Where Hill's head is sexually assaulting Megan, who's been strapped down to the table. It's it's disturbing just in that it's sexual assault, but oh, yeah. on top of that, you add the fact that it's this bloody, grotesque head that's being held by the body. It... it amplifies that terror it's awful yes this is when herbert west rushes in and he's just sickened by what he's seen yes like he's at this point he, he's like you know you're not even a second rate scientist like right that's all that's what he's more upset about rather than the actual assault <laughs> and the kidnapping he's upset about 
how Hill has how delusions he, of grandeur and he's a shitty scientist. And what he wants to do with it. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what you're going to do with this power? You're going to hurt somebody? Like, yeah. Or you're going to like assault somebody? Like He thinks that's just disgusting. And yeah. He, and it's pretty great. I'm very disappointed in you. You steal the secret of life and death, and here you are, trysting with the bubble-headed co-ed. You're not even a second-rate scientist. They're talking, and something happens, and the doctor says, oh, I have a plan. And then Herbert West says, so do I. I can't remember what his plan is. This is what they do to him. What they do. Well, Cain frees Megan. While West is dealing with with Hill. Maybe it's, in fact, it's West who says, oh, I have a plan. And that's when. It, I think it is. The other guy says, so do I. And that's when all the, uh, the that's right. That's when all the corpses come yeah, up. Yeah, rise up. And we didn't know that he had lobotomized every one of these corpses and then used the reagent on them to do his bidding. Oh, I have a plan. So do I. He has mental control over them. Again, this is a subplot that was kind of erased. We're just supposed to understand that the combination of lobotomy and reagent allows Hill to control them. I Somehow. Guess. <laughs> Somehow. But the Dean is also there and he's attacking them and they're surrounded by these corpses. But Megan is pleading with her father to not hurt her and her friends. And that gets through to his lizard brain. And he starts fighting back against the corpses. He even takes Hill's head at one point and headbutts it, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cute. That allows Kane and Megan to, to get out of the morgue. And West injects Hill's body with more of the reagent. And he knows what's going to happen because we saw it happen in the beginning of the movie. It's what happened to Hans Gruber. It rhymes. Again, it's like poetry. So if they rhyme. The body like explodes, but... He doesn't die again. I don't know if it's because of this relationship that the head has with the body or whatever, but it's still animated and like it's it's mutated now and it's turned into this weird sort of thing like monster and it starts to like swallow up West and West throws his research to Kane so Kane can take it and get away. And he does. The Dean gets ripped to shreds. And we don't know what happened to West. From here on out, that's all for West. We don't see him again. We're uncertain if he dies or lives. But we're not because it's a trilogy. <laughs> it is a trilogy and he's in all three of the movies. <laughs> so Kane and Megan are trying to get out of the hospital that's being overrun by these zombies that are killing people. And she gets attacked and he goes to find a fire axe to attack the zombie that's attacking her. And by the time he gets back and kills that zombie, she's already been killed herself. And in terrible grief, he carries her back to the morgue, sets her down on the table and takes a, a syringe of the reagent and puts it in her just at the top of the spine. And it fades to black. And as it fades to black, all we can see is the reagent and then we see the reagent, like, shrink down as if it's being plunged out of the syringe. And that's how the movie ends. And she's also screaming. Yes, yeah, she screams when it goes completely to black. 
And that's the end of the movie. Yes. A lot like Pet Cemetery. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't go as far as Pet Cemetery does. Right, but he knows that he shouldn't do it. Yeah, he does, it, he anyway. does it anyway. Yeah. Lightning round. The things we do for love. Lightning round. Okay, so first of all, I want to talk to you about this. I think it's a good conversation. It doesn't really work for this movie because this movie does not take itself seriously enough to have this conversation. But to be perfectly honest, what is the point of bringing people back from the dead? Because we're already overpopulated enough. This is philosophical. He is not a philosopher. I know. I'm saying outside of the context. I'm Okay. Think about Cain. Uh-huh. I know that Cain, and then I know that the guy he has as his assistant in the in the third one, I know that they have good intentions, but I want to talk to them and specifically just be like, what are your intentions here? Is it only to bring back children? Right, but then because why but then why do any resuscitation of any kind ever? Why have those paddles that that restart hearts? Why do any of that because if the person's dead, then that's a good thing because we're overpopulated. That's what you're saying. No. I just mean that like if you're old, it's going to be make me real unpopular. <laughs> I'm about to say. If you're old, yes, we want to keep you alive. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. If you die. Right. No, there's a lot of people that believe that, that, you know, you have your time on Earth and dying is a good thing. It's the end of your time here on Earth. You move on to whatever there is, if there is anything. Right. Like some people don't see this as a negative. It's 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 a part of life. But as a doctor, Kane, we see in the movie, loses one of his patients and is really traumatized by it. By the fact that this patient dies, this to him is an opportunity to never have any of his patients die ever again. He was personally traumatized by his inability to save someone before they were too far gone. Remember, his uh, teaching doctor had to be like, let it go. It's been too long. We lost her. You know, and he didn't want to accept that fact. He wanted to try everything we could do to resuscitate somebody. And now the next step beyond resuscitation is reanimation. Now, obviously, the ultimate and in the terms of the movie, isn't that great? They do spend a lot of the third movie, the other movie we're going to talk about today, trying to get them more human-like. Yes. So leaving that out of it, just the idea for a doctor who loses people and that's very, very distressing to them. To not ever have to lose another patient. Because that's what doctors are about. They're trying to maintain life and health in their patients. The idea that you never have to have a patient die on an individual basis is really important. Now, on a worldwide basis, if nobody died, there'd be a problem. Exactly. But if somebody dies traumatically and their and their body and mind are still in good health, why not? On an individual basis. Again, some people would argue, well, because it's your time, you're meant to go, or, you know, because it's a beautiful part of life that we shouldn't be rejecting. I don't know which one of those I am. You don't know? No. I think I'm fine with death. I don't think about death a lot. I mean, I know we do a lot of horror movies that we talk about, but I don't think about my own death uh, very much at all. I'm kind of comfortable with it, I guess. I guess I would say I'm one of those people that's comfortable with the idea of dying. Even though I have no idea what happens after this. I mean, like, I'm not trying to say, like, look, if we could bring, like, 
kids back from the dead? Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's the worst thing in the world when a child dies. But I don't know. Yeah. You get to a certain age. But here's the question it's for time, you. time, man. Here's the question for you. If you were to develop a reagent like this and you could bring kids back to life, what's the cutoff? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. What When we push the boundaries... It gets real difficult to see where the line is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, I agree. Secondly, most of my notes make no sense, and I will explain why. This movie was highly entertaining and very funny. I found myself watching it for the most part, and occasionally I would write something down because I thought it was funny, but clearly it doesn't. Out of context, you're like, what even is this? Yeah, out of context, I have no idea what any of this means. But... I think that says a lot about a movie that I'm not even, like, able to, like, take the time to write my Right, because you're paying attention. You've written down a lot of stuff that you found really entertaining, and it's within the context of the movie. Yeah. You know, that it really makes sense. But, again, you you weren't willing to divert your attention long enough to write that those notes down. Yeah. At one point, somebody, like, I don't know, it's probably one of the zombies or something, but they're dripping – and it looked like salsa jelly, <laughs> like a sure, jelly yeah. that was made out of salsa. <laughs> it was very funny. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe. Uh, at the very end, when all the zombies are taking over the hospital, there was a guy who was like, I don't know why, but he's messing around with like the wires and the electrical stuff. And it just totally made me think of those things at, at the Halloween stores. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That shake when the, with the wires. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. It was ex- it, like, I swear to God, if Halloween, if it, it totally could be at a spirit shop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talk about how this is an adaptation of Herbert West Reanimator by H.P. Lovecraft. That's originally how it kind of started, but obviously it diverged. Uh, not obviously, but it did diverge quite a bit. And ostensibly, the whole Herbert West reanimator story is told over the course of the first two movies. Whereas Bride of Reanimator, which is the second film that we're not going to be talking about today, tells the second half of the Herbert West story that H.P. Lovecraft originally wrote. But again, very loosely. (laughs) It's just in general. There's... You know, the reanimating, there's the authority figure that gets decapitated. There's, in the sequel, they end up joining a war. So they have a lot of cadavers to work with. That happens. And so there's a lot of, like, like key plot points that match up to H.P. Lovecraft's original story. But don't expect, if you're going to go read the story, that it's going to be anything like this movie, really. It's just, in general, the themes are very... I don't even want to say Lovecraftian because this isn't very, like, Cthulhu mythos-y. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a ripoff of Frankenstein. Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, a parody of it. And apparently Lovecraft didn't even like this story. He is one of the stories that he wrote because he could get paid to write it. It was what he did to keep himself within some money. So he basically was just like, I'll just do another version of Frankenstein and make some money. Yeah, he... (laughs) Here's the thing about Lovecraft is he died penniless and unknown. Do you mean, do you actually mean unknown or do yeah. you mean like. No, just... he didn't get popular until after he died. Oh, because I was going to say, fucking a lot of people died penniless. Yeah, no, he died, <laughs> he died penniless and unknown. And it wasn't until later that people really started to, to dig into his literature, which is probably for the best. Why? 
because he was a horrible racist. What does it have to do with his writing? It, well, there's some he stuff had a in his impact. <laughs> there's some stuff in his writing that's a little. Uh, you kind of have to navigate around that when you read Lovecraft. I've never read anything from um, him. It's not totally present there, but there is some stuff. Which is weird. I'm shocked I haven't read anything by him. Yeah, it's, it, his stuff isn't all really all that long. He has several books, several short stories. I mean, he was he's kind of like the Stephen King of his time, except, again, he wasn't alive to appreciate any of that celebrity, and which I say was probably person. good because he wasn't a good person. King's a good I'm person. Okay, I'm okay with him dying penniless and unknown. Look, I know Stephen. We go way back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's great. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, Kelsey. Yes. What do you think Reanimator 1985 uh, received on Rotten Tomatoes? I would take a guess that it's very high. 93. 95%. There you go. Perfectly mixing humor and horror. The only thing more effective than Reanimator's gory scares are its dry, deadpan jokes. Very much so. Oh, we didn't talk about how when Hill is holding his he- his own head, how it's very obviously just the actor <laughs> with his head poking through it always is. the cloak. And then there's just this contraption on top of him acting as his upper torso like it's so painfully obvious because he gets like seven feet tall and there's 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 a story a commentary about how that actor's wife divorced him after he after this movie because apparently she was not happy about the sexual assault scene now obviously there must be something more to that story he's an actor yeah but she apparently when they screened it she left and like well that i can understand without might... without a word and then subsequently divorced him like apparently it really really affected her and now again this is just but he's an actor yeah, that would no, be I understand. like that would be like saying that J- the kid who played Joffrey never gets laid in the, for the rest of his life right but he was also old in 1985 so imagine when she grew up and what her standards for propriety are and who knows, maybe something happened to her and her and her youth and she didn't appreciate that. But I imagine there was a lot more going on there. Apparently that I, we didn't listen to the commentary, but apparently there are a few commentary tracks out there where the people doing the commentary mentioned that. Wow. Yeah. Just a little bit of extra lightning round content for you. Had a 73 on Metacritic and no cinema score. Overrated or underrated? Maybe a little overrated. What would you give it? I'm going to give it an 85. That's so funny. I gave it an 87. There you go. So close. It's very good. It's very good. It's really funny. This needs to, like, if you haven't seen it, it really needs to, you need it to round out your appreciation, I think, of horror. If you're a horror fan, you should watch it. It's, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say it's the best horror comedy I've nope. ever seen, but it is pretty dang good. He yeah, is, that dry comedy is he just is so good. He is fantastic, but not in the last one. <laughs> <laughs> Do you say by he you mean Jeffrey Combs? Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. I think he is good in the next movie we're going to talk about, Beyond Reanimator, but it's a different movie. It's a very different movie. So let's let let's 
before we get into Beyond Reanimator, let's do Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition, and then we'll get into our talk about Beyond Reanimator. All right, Chris, you ready? Yep. What 1978's Halloween actress played the protagonist Alana in 1980's Terror Train? Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh my God, I, know, I right? can't believe Can you, you believe got, I got it. it. Yeah. All right, Kelsey. Back to this theme that I'm on this week. What actor played the iconic monster in Frankenstein 1931? It's a famous name. I know it this. It is, and you're going to be upset. I'm not surprised you can't just recall this. It's one of the famous horror movie. Boris Karloff. Oh, my God. Good job. It's very. It's a very famous name. It if is. If you're into horror, then you probably know his name. <laughs> Good job. So... From Reanimator, we're moving on to Beyond Reanimator from 2003, written by. Ugh, okay, so again, based on characters made by H.P. Lovecraft, written by Jose Manuel Gomez and Miguel Tejada Flores, with uncredited writing by Brian Yuzna, who was also the director, and listing a script collaborator of Xavier Barriando. Starring Jeffrey Combs, Tommy Dean Musset, and Jason Barry, what, Kelsey, is Beyond Reanimator about? A medical student learns about Dr. West and wants to continue his work within, oh, I guess he's not a medical student, he's a doctor, wants to learn about his experiments within the prison that he is now in. Yes, so, ha. Huh. You do not need to see Bride of Reanimator to watch this movie because the ending scenario of characters in Bride of Reanimator is virtually the same as the ending for characters in this movie. Herbert West is maybe dead, maybe not. Dr. Hill, maybe dead, maybe not. Kane gets away with his girl. That's what happens in the end of both movies. Sorry to spoil Bride of Reanimator for you. <laughs> but the point is, you miss nothing by missing out on Bride of Reanimator. I went through and I looked up the plot and everything. There is stuff going on in Bride of Reanimator, and I am curious to actually watch it. But you don't need to have watched it to understand what's going on in this movie. So... Herbert West has been arrested because one of his reanimated corpses wreaked havoc and killing the sister of our main character, who's played by Jason Barry. Jason Barry grows up to be a doctor and specifically gets transferred to the prison where West is being held so he can continue his experiments. Should people watch it or not? I'd say no. I would say you don't have to. It's a not good movie on purpose again, but I feel like a lot of this movie is just not good. Yeah. However, interestingly, I'd say a lot of the plot elements, I wrote this down, kind of result from one another in such a natural way, almost like what ends up happening in the movie, as crazy as it is, is almost inevitable. Everything is set up from the very beginning and it plays out like dominoes falling down, like there's no way it couldn't end the way that it does, which is not to say that it's predictable in any way, but thinking back on what it took to get to the end, 
I thought that that those plot lines were almost like masterfully crafted. That is not to say that it's a good movie and that you have to watch it. You can. It exists. It was like $7 on iTunes. I just don't understand why you would take a movie that, I mean, has a legacy. It's a cult classic. People love Mm -hmm. this movie. I don't know why you would take something that I can watch and genuinely really enjoy and then do this with it. It is a completely different movie. It goes way more bonkers than the original went. It goes fucking bonkers. Yes. And look, I'm not saying that every single movie in all of our horror franchises are good. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. I can look at Poltergeist as a great example. It's one of my favorite movies of horror movies of all time. And I've never seen the third one. But the sequel is pretty shitty. However... The difference is those movies were all made pretty tightly and close together, and they were making a lot mm-hmm. of money. Whereas this is, what, 20 years but later? It's, so it's a cult series, and people are asking all the time for them to make more. The cult audience, which is why it, it gets made on the cheap. It's obviously another low-budget movie. The whole thing practically is 80-yard. Yeah, that really bothered me. Whether that was intentional or not, like whether they it was a choice or they were forced to do it, doesn't matter. The way that they do it, I feel, is with an intentionally heavy hand. Like it's supposed to seem like bad 80-yard, like an old horror movie. Or like a Japanese dub. Yeah, Kelsey kind of got that impression out of it, that that's the way it's kind of conveyed. A lot of the delivery is really stilted, but perfectly crisp, clean audio Mm -hmm. that, like, sounds like it was recorded elsewhere, because it was. (laughs) I think even, I don't know, I didn't look it up, but I think the main lady character, she might not have even dubbed herself, because when she screams and it isn't 80 yard it sounds like she has an accent, like a natural accent. So I think a lot of this was made in Spain, in a prison in Spain. And so a lot of the cast and crew, the writers, director, all that are all Spanish. They're not American. And I got that impression that that for a lot of it, she was hiding an accent. Whether that was her doing the ADR or not, an accent was being hidden. But yeah, that's why there's you'll see a lot of Spanish names in the credits is because it was made in Spain. Barcelona. Barcelona, to be exact. Been there. I have not. I've only been to Europe once. Kelsey's been like 147 times. Yes, exactly (laughs) 147 times. (laughs) All right, so you can take our advice or leave it. I guess our advice would be you don't have to watch it. Kelsey outright saying don't. But when we get back, we will talk about 2003's Beyond Reanimator. It was an unholy experiment. You and your sick experiments! You go to jail for this. That became a cult classic. This is science, Doctor. Not superstition. Now, Dr. Herbert West returns. Doctor, I know what you did. Oh, really? You found a way to restore life? In a tale so chilling... And so shocking. What happened to you? Not even death can save you. Lionsgate Home Entertainment and cult classic director Brian Yuzner take you beyond your worst nightmare. It works. Beyond your wildest fear. Surprise! 
guys. Beyond Reanimator. It's party time. Jeffrey Combs. Beyond Reanimator. Hey, got any more? Let's say you've had enough. Rest in pieces. All right, Kelsey, we got through the intro of the movie and Howard Phillips, by the way, that's what HP stands for in HP Lovecraft, Howard Phillips. Our main character is now a doctor and he has gotten himself transferred to the prison where West is spending a life sentence. I can't remember how long his sentence was in order to pursue West's work. So, what happens now? Pretty quickly, you figure out how ridiculous this movie is going to be. Because this prison is not run the way a prison is run. Like, in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, there is a warden named Warden Brando, played by Simone Andrew. And he is all about killing people. Capital punishment. He loves his electric chair and and he loves being able to intimidate his prisoners yes and we can assume that people who are on death row in whatever state this is probably massachusetts they send they send all their death row inmates to his prison or something like that because otherwise it's not like he gets to decide you know what i mean but he wishes he's so what's the term he's overzealous in in the form of punishment he wishes he could kill people and then kill them again and kill them again and kill them again because dying is too good for them. He's that kind of crazy person. <laughs> yes. Apt. How do we find this out? We learn about him at first through the reporter. So there's a lady character who will Her- become involved with <laughs> Herbert West's assistant yet again. <laughs> very, yeah. So... Laura Olney, played by Elsa Pataki. She is actually Spanish. So I said before the break that it sounded like they were trying to cover up her accent. Yes, she does actually have an accent. So I was able to confirm that. I shared it on Twitter. If you look in the show notes, you can see a link to the thread about this episode. However, for some reason, I was under the impression that we already recorded the episode. And no, we just recorded the first half. So we can talk about it here. Elsa Pataki, who was in probably most famous for... The Fast and the Furious franchise. She's in the past couple of them. But I didn't know until I started looking up, is she actually from Spain? Is that she is married to Chris Hemsworth. Mm. Uh, that was pretty interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we didn't talk about how the fact that Howard Phillips, the Dr. Phillips, is played by a, a man named Jason Barry. Where do we know Jason Barry from? I know him. From Titanic. He's the Irish guy who befriends Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Will you give us a chance to live, you loimy bastard? But he's also Valentine in the film Mirror Mask. Yes. Look, an idiot! Pretty big character in that movie, too. Why do we not know who this person is? Well, because Mirror Mask isn't exactly a famous movie, and Titanic was 20-something years ago. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess I was really big on Mirror Mask because it was written by Neil Gaiman, and I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan, and it was directed by Dave McKeon, who did a lot of the covers for a lot of Neil Gaiman's comic books, 
all those really, really amazing Sandman covers are just incredible. And he directed that movie. And I love Mirror Mask. And then Kelsey went and watched it without me recently. <laughs> I was trying to get you to watch it for a long time. She says this. It's more like, hey, are you in the mood for something? Here's a bunch of things we can watch. And I'm like, hey, I guess I'll watch this. She turns that into, well, I guess he doesn't want to watch this movie ever. <sighs> <laughs> The wedding's off. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Anyway, so Elsa Pataki as Laura Olney is interviewing the warden for a piece that she's doing. Hi, I'm Laura Olney. I'm with the Arkham Record. Anything you say to me, Kenan will be misquoted or taken out of context. And that's how we find out all about the warden and what he believes. And he's really creepy. And he has the hots for Laura. And he's yep, really gross. We have about another it. really creepy doctor who wants to get. Well, he's not a doctor, but he's the warden, a creepy older dude. He's effectively the new Hill. Dr. Yeah. Hill, yeah. West is reassigned. He's doing obviously some experiments on his own. He's fucking with rats. At one point, he takes a rat that belongs to another prisoner. But he's doing other weird experiments where he's getting these little, they look like light bulbs or whatever, that are filling up with some substance. We don't know what it is yet, but we will find out later. So West is now working with Howard Phillips or is being requested to work with Phillips. The inmate with the pet rat, he, he has a cellmate. And this dude has a heart attack. And of course... Our Herbert West wants those fresh, fresh kills. Yes. And as soon as they get their hands on him, they bring him back. And, like, before he was turned, he was kind of a religious nut, I yeah, guess? Yeah, the character's name is Moses. And, like, when he comes back, at first he's a zombie, then he says, oh, forgive me. Like, when the warden shows up? When the warden up? shows up. So, obviously, the warden has some sort of control Using fear or violence. Which we already know. We've seen him yeah. strike his inmates. Yeah, he carries around a cane that he does that with. And so the guy says, forgive me, which is weird because that's telling us that the guy has the ability to, like, recognize people. Well, just we like saw the Hill same did. thing. We saw, yeah, we saw the same thing with, with Hill. We saw the same thing with the Dean in the first movie. Depending on how fresh you are and depending on your will... You can retain some of your humanity, but you also get aggression and violence. And that's the problem that West has yet to solve. Yeah, so even after he says, forgive me, when the when the warden, like, looks away or something, he, like, punches him in the dick. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. You just have to accept that it's just, the prison is basically just a background. Yes. Because at, like, one point, he tells Herbert, like, that's one more year onto your sentence. No, you can't do that. So, right, yeah. like, just. He also says, Wes says when he starts working with Phillips, that my last partner turned state's evidence against me. I expect better from you. My last partner turned state's evidence against me. I'm expecting better things of you. This happened off camera. We don't ever see this. We don't get Dan Kane's character at all in this movie. Even though he survived the last movie, just like he survived the first movie. So, like I said, really, the second movie is totally unnecessary. But that's where we find out kind of how West got arrested and where Kane is. Yeah. And so, 
in all the hubbub of when that dude dies, this prison guard who's like the warden's right-hand man, but then later the warden will kill, so that's stupid. So, like, the the right-hand man just looks at Herbert and is like, go back to your cell. Like, it's just like, what? Go back to your cell? Are you fucking kidding me? Well, okay. So in (laughs) prison, depending on the prison and depending on the inmate, inmates are given certain liberties. Like, in some cases, you get to walk around freely for a certain period of time, depending on how you've proved you can handle that responsibility. Because it's in their best interest that you behave well and they reward you for that. And then you can better yourself that way. But Herbert West apparently has some sort of insight and tells the doctor that he works with, stay away from the reporter because he can tell that she, he's into her. Uh-huh. She's, she's trouble. Well, yeah, because the women that his <laughs> assistants are obsessed with always end up causing problems. <laughs> yes. I assume that's what he meant and that he cannot. Not that it's like a scree against women in general, just that romantic entanglements are dangerous for the type of work that we're doing. But at the same time, she is also trouble because she is using the doctor to get more information about West. Yeah, eventually she does find out some more information about what they're working on and tries to get back into the prison to see if she can get more information. So when we say that she comes back a little bit later, that's what we're talking about. But they do begin a romantic relationship. And it seems like it's a genuine one, but she is still using him, yeah. Yeah, like when they first start hooking up, they've got, it's terrible dialogue, but like she says something like, I'm a go-getter or I go get things or, I don't remember what the stupid line is. Laura. Uh, Dr. Phillips, how are you? What are you doing here? Just going for it? She presents a hypothetical to him. Hey, should I just do nothing or should I pursue this? Yeah, it's it, like, you've got to take chances. Yeah, uh-huh. So what do I do? Play it safe or go for it? No question. You got to go for it. You mean that? You got to take some chances. And so when she shows up later and he's like, what are you doing here? She says, oh, I'm getting it. uh, Yeah, I'm getting it or whatever it is that that she said. Yeah, but like this is where I wrote, this isn't fun. This This, isn't funny. Okay. so this isn't well paced. It still has deliberate awkwardness like the original does, which I enjoyed. I even liked the dubbing. I thought it added a lot of personality and not in a way that uh, we didn't have a way to record sound, so we just dubbed it in later. They obviously did have a way to record sound on set. So it is obviously intentional, and it adds some charm to it. But that isn't enough to hold it up to the level of the original. Not even close. It, it isn't. It isn't. But it's also just really slow-paced. And I feel There's like- a lot going on in it, too. Like, we're we're... We're just skimming the surface of the events that happen in this movie. If you were to break down the plot into a series of events, it would be pages long. I don't know if you could do a four-page outline of this script. Well, first off, um, this is 80 pages. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's the outline. They're like, an outline is like four pages max. (laughs) And I was just like, well, you know, I just overcompensating because I grew up fat. What has Wes been working on in prison surreptitiously? He does reveal to Dr. Phillips. 
he discovered something called NPE, or nanoplasmic energy. This, I'm sure you guys have heard the thing that, oh, the human body loses a certain number of ounces at the moment of death. Seven and grams. people are like, yeah, that's what the movie Seven Grams is about. Oh, that's the human soul leaving the body at death, which is bullshit. West turns it into science. There is a nanoplasmic energy within a human that suppresses those baser instincts of violence and aggression. That does, in fact, leave the body at death, which is why when they inject them with the serum, they wake up and they're violent. It's not because they died. It's because when they died, they lost their NPE. And so he's been working with rats. And so they try out this experiment with rats where at the moment of death, you can take the NPE from one being and give it to another. And see, I have a couple of issues with this. Number one, okay, so we find out that you can't cross because they'll get part of their personality, it doesn't go well. We do find that out through a sequence of events, yeah. It just seems like a really stupid plan because... Well, they don't know that this is the case at that point because he's only worked with rats and he hasn't even done it successfully until they do it in this movie. But what I'm saying is if the whole idea, if, if, if Herbert's only goal is to bring people back perfectly. Mm-hmm. If that's purely all he cares about. Yeah. Why not take it from the subject and then give it back to the subject? Cuz you have to you have to be ready to take it at the moment of their death. You it, it leaves the body at death, so you have to be there when they die and But take if it you from them. are there mm-hmm. to get it from them, yeah. Why not give it back to them? Well, because they weren't there when Laura dies. So, Laura eventually dies. <laughs> she is killed by the warden. When she comes back to figure out what's going on, she finds Moses in his cell. She convinces the guard to let her in to talk to Moses, even though he's already reanimated and he has these fits of violence. But his great will is kind of suppressing that most of the time. He's just shaking and, you know, co- practically comatose until he does break into violence. I'd also like to point out in that moment when she convinces the guard to let her in, the whole thing is that she says, I'll pay you, basically. Uh And he says, okay, I'm going to go walk down the hallway or whatever. And she's like, but what if I need you? And he's like, well, you can't yell. Yeah. And it's like. You can't yell anyway, so. Then why don't you stay here and watch me? Yeah. (laughs) Well, so this can happen. She goes in, and then she gets attacked, basically, by Moses. And then and yells anyway, which is yes. also stupid. Like, I'm just, I'm like, look, my job's not on the line. Right. So th- that's why- I just why you. So I'm, of course, the guard going to yell either way. That. Yeah, the yeah, guard's a uh-huh. fucking idiot. Yeah. So she yells, and, and it's the warden that shows up. So the warden gets his ear ripped off by the dude and beats him to death. And then he wants to blame it on- the reporter. And when she tries to escape, he yeah, kills her. He, well, at first he's like, well, I guess if you give me a blowjob, I won't uh-huh. kill you or I won't blame it on you. Yeah. And of course she tries to run away. And so he kills her. Yeah. So they have a dead Moses again. They have a dead Laura and they have the warden who's missing an ear. They bring Laura's body in and Phillips is like, no. I need to resurrect her. And they're like, well, 
you don't want to do that because she needs the NPE. Otherwise, she's just going to come back as a violent zombie like everyone else has come back as. So the warden eventually finds out what's going on and he tries to stop them from running their experiments and West kills him and takes his NPE. And in order to give it to Laura, right? And so Laura is revived with the warden's NPE. The warden is immediately revived with the rat's NPE. Yes. And this is when we discover, oh, he gets rat-like features. He even gets buck teeth and everything. And And she doesn't just take on features of him. She becomes him. Yeah, in some cases. So she does come back. And she, so the NPE, just in general, the NPE allows her to suppress her violent rages, but it also comes along with part of the warden's personality, and that takes over from time to time. And the warden's already aggressive and violent, so she flips out sometimes and gets violent when she becomes the warden, Laura. And by the end, it's almost like they've synced. So it's like it's her, but she also has this crazy aggression. Yeah, almost like the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Right? Only she only she becomes the warden. She's still Laura in, in body, but she gets part of his voice and she gets very angry. She doesn't become zombie violent where they're just mindless. Mm-hmm. She's specifically violent. Yeah, in the she way has an agenda. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so Moses is resurrected again because, you know, he's a zombie and he finds his way back to the rat guy's cell and the guard shows up and is like, what the fuck is going on in here? And Moses attacks him and the rat dude takes his keys and unlocks everyone's cell. And so now there's a full-fledged riot Are you talking about the inmate who has the rat pet? Yes. Okay. Sorry, not the warden rat Yeah, that's confusing. Yes, sorry. The the rat pet parent. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So a whole riot happens. And there's this whole subplot where a character named Speedball is obsessed with getting high. And during the riot, he tries to take all the drugs. He finds the reagent and he injects it. And it and it causes his body to move on its own accord and, and animate. He loves it. And he absolutely loves it. Until eventually he overdoses and explodes in front of West. And then he come pops up as a skeleton with half of his flesh ripped off and asks for more. Hey, hey, man. Got any more? Just uh, another hit. Uh, I'd say you've had enough. Please, how about some Vicodin? Little red pills? Aspirin. Which is kind of funny. I, I liked that. I thought that was a little bit cute. And it's in keeping with the nature of the original movie. So I'm totally okay with that. Uh, but we don't know who's alive, who's been reanimated, or what's going on. During the riot, the warden is who has his hands on the reagent is now killing inmates like hanging them from the rafters and the, and injecting them so they are never dead. They're just constantly dying, <laughs> which is an interesting concept, I thought. Just perpetual punishment is what's going on here. And the the rat parent, <laughs> uh, he ends up getting ripped in half, but he's still alive. And so he's running around as just an upper torso, some arms in his head. 
And West at one point loses Laura and gets out, but he, he can't get back in because there's like riot police closing off the parts of the prison that have been taken over by this riot and they won't let him go back in. West during this stole Phillips's ID badge, which allows him to come and go as a doctor. Phillips manages to find his way back in during some of the chaos when they're letting other people out. And yeah, he just runs into the middle of the fray. Yes. And finds Laura and there's a lot of fighting going on and Laura kills the warden and not before she bites off his dick. Yes. And then spits it out. And now there's this reanimated dick flopping around chasing after one of the living rats. Yes. That's where I wrote. It's like idle hands and evil dead Two, and house. Only it's fucking gross. Only and we get to watch penis. a fucking penis flopping around. And then yeah. we get to watch a fucking rat pushing it around. Yes. And, it's just and like, then fucking over really? the end credits, you see How a fight scene. How old are we? I know. <laughs> it was funny that something like this existed. It but bothers they me that I'm watching thought... a movie that was meant for my, my students. Yes. That would think it was funny. Yes. that See, that's the problem is I, I think it thinks that it's funnier than it actually is. <laughs> And yeah, I wish that part just wasn't in the movie. It was shocking when she did it. And then the fact that it moved, like, that's the end of the joke. Stop it with that now. Yeah. We don't need to keep cutting back to this rat and this penis. Mm -hmm. Maybe if they had done it once during the credits, that might have been funny. Yeah. But no, but they, they just kept, kept doing it. going back to it. Yeah. And she begs Phillips to kill her. And he does. And the riot police show up and they come upon the scene and Phillips is covered in blood and Laura is dead and he is taken under custody. So he's probably going to prison after this. But West, who is now impersonating Phillips because he stole his ID card while Phillips was mourning the death of Laura, he manages to make his way out of the prison and then he puts on his glasses and walks away presumably to continue his research now that he knows about the existence of NPE and how to get it. Mm -hmm. There is no other reanimator movie, at least not yet. There are a lot of rumors of it coming back, them doing another one or what have you. So that is the plot of reanimator. It's time for lightning round. I thought the prison riot, like I said earlier, it seemed like there was a natural buildup to everything and one thing led to another and intertwined so naturally that it almost felt like the end result was inevitable. And I thought that that was pretty skillfully done where like she gets locked in during the riot and he gets locked out and it just felt like everything happened really naturally. But there's so much stuff. This movie was only an hour and a half long. I think it could have it could have been trimmed down to an hour. Like, yeah, there was a lot of extra stuff they didn't need. Yes. There's, they spent so much time with the rat and the penis. <laughs> at, I, at one point I wrote down, they're spending so much time with it that I'm beginning to worry it's going to become very important soon. <laughs> you know, like they're foreshadowing, especially with the way that everything led to something else. But it never did. Which again, then take it out. Get rid of it. I didn't like that they changed Herbert West. This is what did? I was talking about the first time when we were talking about the first movie. It was written by an entirely different crew. Well, there you go. Yeah. And I don't like that they, I mean, look, he was never a humanitarian. And we always will wonder if he killed that cat. Yeah. But he had never killed anyone. Or Hans Gruber. 
Yeah. But he had never killed anyone as far as we knew. And then in this movie, he's just like, has no problem with killing people. Uh, yeah, but he's testing his stuff on rats, not people. Only because he can't in a prison. Yeah. But he kills somebody at but one point. who does he kill? And under what context? I mean, here's the thing from the second movie. The reason they're in the Peruvian Civil War is because they can get bodies easily, right? And so while it's still unethical research, it's not murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he does eventually go on to murder in that movie. So maybe there is some character buildup. I think he, I can't remember who he kills at the beginning of this film, but I feel like he killed somebody. Well, there was a zombie and we don't know where that zombie came from. Yeah, but they were right by a cemetery. They did say that. Yeah. So uh-huh. it's possible he just dug somebody up, but right, yeah. I don't know why he would. He knows that that won't work uh-huh. for his experiments. But he kills the warden, so. Yeah, but the warden was an asshole. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Under what context is he killing people? Although. Bringing back West's incredible character and mannerisms, there is a great line after they bring her back with the NPE, which they were thinking would bring them back to normal because that's the thing that's missing. It suppresses their urges so they don't change into violent zombies. She does change because she has the warden in her because it's not her own NPE. And Philip says, she changed. You were wrong. She changed. And West just kind of shrugs and says... It was a theory. She changed. You were wrong. She changed. It was a theory. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I would expect Wes to say. I thought that that moments like that were were really they honored the original. I'm obviously not as hard on this movie as you are, but it is still I recognize nowhere near the quality of the first one. There's also a line in the beginning when Howard, Dr. Phillips. And a friend of his are camping in their backyard by a cemetery and they're going to find out what happened in the house because they heard a noise. This is the circumstances in which his sister is killed where he says to the other kid, the soul is an invention of primitive witch doctors. Yeah. The soul is an invention of primitive witch doctors. It's like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) (laughs) I like They that. don't explain why this kid has this point of view or even really what he means. That is the that's the kid that'll grow up to be our actor. So, I know. I mean our our Yeah, Howard Phillips. Yeah, yeah, I understand. But they don't say why he feels this way as a kid. Well, like, I think there's no has, indication. He's just a creepy kid, I guess. I think it's just that he's obsessed with science. Yeah. And so when he hears about something that can't be scientifically proven, he says it's made up. Yeah. I do like that idea that they found a scientific explanation for what the soul is. I thought that, that was pretty intriguing. I mean, I guess. They just made it up. <laughs> so. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's an intriguing element that if they're going to compound it and make it more complicated, they they folded it into something that we wonder about today. What is the human soul? What is that seven ounces or whatever? Questions we ask today, they found a way to naturally weave that into the mythos of this of this universe. Probably my favorite line was when they were arguing about putting the warden's MPE inside Laura. Yeah. They're arguing about it, and I love Herbert West's response. He's just like, she's not getting any fresher. What if she turns out like Moses? She's not getting any fresher. Like... 
we can keep having this conversation. Yeah, uh-huh. And you can make it worse for her. Yeah. Or we can find out what happens when I put this inside Which of her. Which is similar to the argument he gave to Dan Kane when the dean. Is that Dean Kane? <laughs> died and they're like this is the freshest corpse we can get yeah yeah so i think that's it for me what do you think this movie got on rotten tomatoes kelsey 53 out of 11 reviews it got 45 percent no metacritic no cinema score do you think that's overrated or underrated i'd say it's about right what would you give it i'd give it a 40 wow yeah i really did like it a lot more than you did I was going to give it a 58. Yeah. I think there's a lot to really admire in this where they kind of shot for the moon and nailed some certain elements. But the package as a whole just does not do it for me, especially after the high of the original and then immediately going into this. it's It seems like it's just a bunch of buffoons who like reanimator and decided to make their own version of reanimator and they and and they got the main actor to reprise the role that's all it is yeah if they hadn't gotten him this would be like a 10 (laughs) but he's great he's he's really funny and i love his characterization and so he's fun to watch yeah that's um almost the biggest difference of the year so far of 18 between you and I. There are a couple 15s, but the biggest one is 30 with Dreamscape. I gave it a 60 and you gave it a 30. <laughs> Yikes. You really didn't like Dreamscape. <laughs> All right. That is Beyond Reanimator from 2003, thus concluding our Reanimator week. What are we watching next week? We're not going to be posting this after Mother's Day, so Mother's Day weekend is for us next weekend. So we're going to watch Psycho. Okay, listen, we had conversations about this. I've fallen on both ends of this argument multiple times, and ultimately we just made a judgment call and we're going to do it. This is going to be a double feature. We are going to be talking about Gus Van Sant's remake as well. Famously, Gus Van Sant tried to copy the movie as closely as he could, except for for where he willfully deviates, like throwing in a masturbation scene for some reason. Anyway, they're going to be very, very similar. So expect the episode to be like we've done other double features in the past where it's analyze the first film. And then kind of only talk about the differences. In yeah, the here's movie. the thing, guys. We've seen both of them. Oh, God. We yeah. already know. <laughs> the first one's amazing. The remake almost feels like Gus Van Sant is laughing at us. Well, it feels like he just wanted to do something. Like, I wonder if I could remake Psycho. And somebody gave him money to do it. It's <laughs> a little weird. Yes, but the first one is incredible. It's a great movie. It's one of my, I wouldn't say it's my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie, but it's probably my second favorite. Specifically, Justin Hitchcock, it's probably my favorite. I think Vertigo is my favorite Alfred Hitchcock. And that it's like Vertigo, Psycho, Rear Window. I rear think Window is, is. Rear Window, I love Rear Window. I think it's a tie between Rear Window and Psycho for me. Yeah. So that's what we're watching next week, guys. Until then, you can always reach us at our website, which is podcemetery.com 
There you can browse through every episode we've ever released, as well as an alphabetical listing of every single movie we've discussed on the show. Again, this is a great way to go through our backlog if you're just joining us now and you've missed out on a lot. Find a movie that you think looks cool uh, or that you've always wanted to see or that you really enjoy and then listen to our episode on it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery or email us at podcemetery at gmail.com. You can send us suggestions just like Anthony did for this week with Reanimator and Beyond Reanimator. Again, thank you very much, Anthony. Yeah, I really enjoyed Reanimator. Yes. Thank you very much for telling us to watch that. Also, if you're following us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery, you'll know that I always post comments, clips, visual stuff about the movies as I'm editing the episode. I should point out that Kelsey's been doing a lot of editing lately and doing a bang up job of it. So I'm very, very uh, proud of her for that. That's really cool. So thank you, Kelsey. Well, thanks, sweetie. She will also live tweet movies occasionally. And really, it's just her reaction to points in the movies. So if you want to watch some weird movie, probably on Netflix with her, you can follow along on our Twitter there. Uh, Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your podcatcher of choice. The best thing you can do for us there is to give us a five-star written review, uh, particularly on iTunes. That helps us out profoundly. Thank you so much to everyone who's done that already. Uh, Thank you even more to the people who share us with your friends, and especially those people, you guys out there right now, who are listening in the first place Thank you so very much. We love every single one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Any last words? Cat dead. Details later. To the sacred place To see a dream I can't escape Molders and fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones Based on an original story Based on an original story by H.P. Lovecraft Crass? Crass. Lovecraft. Dean goes all out against Kane. <laughs> Dean Kane? <laughs> Sorry, it's gonna be peppered all throughout this episode. <laughs> Glad it makes you happy. Honey. <laughs> it really does. Is that Dean Kane? <laughs> I think we can wait. I'm dying. Yeah, I'm. I'm like swimming. That's dumb. What? They're making a big deal about. They're making a big deal about a dog who ice skates. All right, and that sounds crazy. Mm-hmm. But he only wears ice skates on his front two paws. Yeah. And he's basically just sliding around like he would if he didn't have ice skates. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you could say that that's what ice skating is. Yeah, but he does not look like he knows what he's doing. Uh, like, he's just like, oh, fuck, and just slides. Yeah, it's completely different from, say, uh, a bulldog who can skateboard. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
who has to learn how to keep his weight on the board, push along, and stay on the board as he's moving forward. It's a completely different skill. Not to mention, I mean, like, look, maybe I'm being a little too hard, but the ice skates are also, like, um, roller skates. They've got two blades. Uh-huh, so he can't tip either yeah, way. So it's yeah, just like, uh-huh. what, then what's the point? <laughs> this takes no talent. You just put some shit on a dog's paw. <laughs> The poor dog's just like, fuck, and trying to stay up. Stop it with that now. Yeah. We don't need to keep cutting back to this rat and this penis. Mm-hmm. 